Get ready for a new episode of KP Talks Dollars and Cents. Learn financial literacy and get real-time updates on all things housing, finance, and real estate with your host, Kevin Perenio. As an owner and C-level executive for 20-plus years in finance, KP is here to serve you with all of his knowledge and experience. Whether you're a broker, realtor, or just interested in the economy, this is the podcast for you. So let's get started. Here's your host, Kevin Perenio. Hey, it's KP coming to you live from Corona, California. Back at my desk after almost two weeks being away, we had our presence cabinet in Costa Rica. It was really nice in the Guanacaste province. And uh, we are back. Um, I was uh, humbled on my trip, um, not to get too personal here, but um, grabbing a 60-pound bag off the luggage rack right when we got there, the, the conveyor belt, yanked it off, and I re-injured my old labrum tear. So now I've got to get a cortisone shot or something like that. Um, and then I was in Augusta, had the fortunate pleasure to um, attend the Masters. I want to thank our good partners at Arch Mortgage Insurance. Uh, for putting on such a classy, um, amazing, you know, uh, executive uh, retreat. So um, watch that golf course humble a lot of people for those that um, are into golf and watching the Masters. But um, let's uh, let's digress because not everyone in this audience is, uh, is into golf and um, I suck at it anyway. Um, I'm also not very good at picking stocks. I've been humbled there as well year to date as have most and I'm going to get into some um, stock news as we look at the markets uh, today, Monday, well, technically yesterday, we're after midnight here on the West Coast. Uh, the market sold off pretty hard and gave back um, in the first several uh, trading sessions of April all their gains from the prior rally from uh, the two weeks prior to the entire month. So we'll talk about what's going on. I am not a stock advisor. I am not responsible for your losses, only your profits. Um, I am not a financial advisor. Go talk to someone who knows what they're talking about. But I will make some notes how inflation, the Fed's actions, the uncertainty in the market, and uh, mortgage-backed securities and interest rates in the bonds, uh, the bond markets, all the quantitative tightening going on at the Fed, how they're all interconnected. Tomorrow, we have a real big reading. We have the CPI, the Consumer Price Index. It's a measure of inflation. And we all know inflation's going real hot right now. I think the last... Uh, measure we saw put us like around 7.9%, I believe. So are we going to get an 8% handle tomorrow? Are we going to go over 8? Well, the headline number, which is expected to be over 8 for the past 12 months for consumer prices and the basket of goods um, and services that are uh, make up the index, heating, uh, you know, gas, you know, stuff coming from the oil industry, which we um, have seen go as high as almost 130 but it's $120 a barrel. We're down around 92. You know, just six months ago, we were like at 64. So are we seeing demand destruction? Are we seeing, um, you know, uh, prices of future oil uh, come down because we're coming out of the peak winter months where heating and, um, and heating oil is used up? Um, we're kind of in that transition period before we get to the summer where there's typically a lot of travel, um, certainly in the northern hemisphere. But that could be muted. You know, consumers, at least here in the U.S., dictate about 70% of our GDP. Maybe just people decide, hey, it's too expensive to travel. We're going to do a staycation. We're not going to uh, pay for gas. You know, uh, we're all going to rush out and get electric vehicles. 
Um, but, you know, anyway, you look at oil production in Russia and they produce about 5 billion, excuse me, 5 million barrels a day. And um, that's been kind of cut off to the rest of the world. Maybe China will buy some of that. India is buying some of that. A lot of the world is kind of rallying around, you know, not buying uh, Russian products. Hell, on my uh, airline the other day, I was on Delta Airline going out to Atlanta. Um, the guy made a point to let us know that they no longer carried Russian vodka on the airline. And they had some other vodka. I didn't even know what it was. It wasn't Tito's. Uh, I was kind of upset about that. Um, but, uh, you know, Elliot Eisenberg pointed out this uh, this oil uh, production could be uh, subsidized by the rest of the world. You know, uh, the United States announced that we would tap into our strategic uh, petroleum reserve and uh, for as much as a million barrels a day. And um, that's pretty that's pretty solid. You know, maybe uh, the Saudis or the UAE could kick in like uh, uh, Elliot Eisenberg suggests. But uh, the Bowtie Economist, if you don't follow him, follow him. But so far, the friends over there or frenemies or whatever you want to call them at OPEC, they haven't really uh, they haven't really said, hey, we're going to jack up our production. So everyone's kind of holding steady, they like making money when prices are high, I guess. Uh, can't blame them. Um, so what does this have to do with inflation? What does this have to do with mortgage interest rates? Now, um, in our, believe I'm the May 4th meeting coming up, you know, we just saw the Fed minutes last week from um, the prior Fed meeting where they announced what they're going to do. Um, and, uh, and then comments started coming out, uh, you know, from Lyle Brainerd. Um, there'll be more comments from her this week, you know, public comments talking about the plan of attack for quantitative tightening. So um, the idea um, and the consensus is that at the May 4th meeting by the Fed, that they will announce a 50 basis point rate hike. We'll talk about what they're going to do going forward. And then they're going to say that they will have a cap of up to $95 billion, um, uh, per day in, uh, you know, uh, I guess, quantitative tightening of mortgage-backed securities, which would be, I guess, uh, you know, uh, $30 billion or $35 billion and then another um, I guess it's 60 billion of treasuries that they're buying every day for a total of 95 billion. So um, that's how they're going to release their balance sheet onto the market, which the last time this occurred in 2018, um, the Fed's hand was forced. And so a little history past this prologue, as Shakespeare likes to say, um, uh, you know, basically in 2018, when the tightening in the, um, the unloading of the balance sheet uh, from the quantitative easing, started taking place in the fourth quarter of that year, capped off with a Christmas Eve day, 3% market tanking, the market stock markets tanked about 20%. So we see a lot of uncertainty coming ahead. You know, our 10 year treasury um, is at 2.82% here in the pre-market. I'm looking at mortgage backed security, MBS highway here, the charts of the 10 year treasury at 2.82% on MBS highway. Now, uh, for those that watch CNBC, there's a guy called the Chart Master, Charter, uh, Carter Worth, for Worth Charting. And he likes to talk about, to the penny, where the 10-year has been trending down over time. Um, that, you know, from our peak in 1983, I believe it was, like something like 15 spot 87, 15.87 um, on the 10-year. That if you trend it all the way down to where we are, that we are on the trend line at 282 right now. So what will happen? Will the 10-year go up? Will it matter what the Fed is doing? Remember, the Fed is now trying to fight inflation. We are at full employment as an economy. Our 
you know, uh, unemployment rates at 3.8%. Our jobless claims, which is kind of like a vis-a-vis uh, -a, -vis a layoff um, indicator, is at, you know, lows since the 60s, right? So we are at full employment. We have over 10 to 11 million jobs open that people are not taking. So we are now trying to fight inflation. That's what the Fed is going to do. So when you see the 10-year go up um, and you see them talk about a 50 basis point rate hike, are they really going to fight inflation? Is it really going to stop inflation? If inflation stays at a sustained level, let's call it 8%, okay? And the 10-year, for example, is at 282. I mean, you're basically at negative 5.2% interest rates. That is feeding inflation. That will continue to feed inflation. So what does the Fed have to do? Assuming that, uh, you know, the the tenure, or the tenure has to be, the Fed fund rates, excuse me, has to be raised. This next 50 basis point rate hike, they just had a 25 plus this 50 in May. That's 0.75, okay? So if inflation's at 8% and our tenure's at 2.82, let's say it holds there at that trend line. It doesn't go above that on the yield. How is the Fed funds rate going to get, um, you know, another 5.3%, you know, added onto it? to basically fight inflation. I mean, they're gonna have to raise rates to like 10%, which would put us in a severe and deep recession. So we're watching what's going on, what the Fed's gonna do. The idea obviously is that into next year, that inflation will begin to come down. If oil keeps coming down, um, you know, and I'm not saying that it will, um, but you know, demand destruction is a real thing. So we're gonna keep an eye on that and watch what happens with inflation. Um, interesting tidbit, um, earnings season kicks off this week. Q1 earnings season and the banks, the money centers, they always lead off earnings season. So you're going to see all the big banks, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, Wells Fargo, JP Morgan Chase, Citibank. And my guess is not only will they say that they're making less money in investment banking, but their full year guidance, they're going to trend lower, which I think will continue to trigger into the stock market uh, more fear and uncertainty to potentially retest the lows of the year that we've already seen in the S&P. If they're slowing growth and the banks are saying there's going to be slowing growth, it just kind of feeds into this whole stagflation, low growth, high inflation environment. So um, let's keep an eye on earnings season. Get ready. Buckle your seatbelts. Cheers. Hey, it's KP coming to you live from Corona, California. Well, we've got Passover starting tomorrow and Easter, and I've got a public service announcement about uh, health and food and, of course, a little bit of housing information. So let's get cracking here, I'm trying to ramble for a full 10 minutes. Uh, Passover is a Jewish holiday that starts tomorrow. It's usually the 15th of the Jewish calendar month called Nisan, and it is to celebrate uh, the Israelites being freed from the Pharaoh, King Pharaoh of Egypt. And of course, uh, it just so happens this year to be on the same weekend as Easter weekend. It's not always the exact same weekend. Easter is there to celebrate the resurrection of Christ. He is risen. And it's typically uh, Good Friday is for uh, the, uh, the crucifixion. And then Sunday is when uh, Christ uh, rose from the dead. And it's typically the first Sunday after the first full moon after spring has started. Did you get all that? So everything goes back to nature, doesn't it? Including our stock market, if you want me to talk about Fibonacci retracement levels, things you see in plants and seashells and all that kind of stuff. But I digress. Let's talk housing. Now, I thought this was very cool. My home state of Texas passed a law 
that um, allows the homestead exemption to start immediately, as soon as you buy a home and be prorated. Now, typically, now homestead exemption is if this is your homestead and this is your primary residence and this is where I'm going to plant my flag and come hell or high water, I'm going to pay this bill before anything else, no matter uh, what good times or bad come my way, um, you get a tax break. And that homestead tax exemption is kind of a big deal. It does, uh, it does matter. And typically, you have to own the house before the 31st of December in any state. And then starting in that following year, starting January 1st, then you get the homestead exemption for that following year. So if you close and fund on January 2nd, you're out of luck for a year. Well, now, in the state of Texas, it is prorated based on the date that you own the home. thought that was pretty cool. Since we are in a first-time home buyer market, we um, need to talk about uh, the starter home. So I want to inject this. This is for my um, all my fellow originators and realtors who listen. Let's talk about the starter home. It's much like your starter car. Remember that piece of crap that you owned? Because that first car you got was not any good. And mine in 1992 was an 89 Chevrolet Corsica that my dad paid $2,000 cash for with manual uh, window roll-up and uh, manual locks, not even a tape deck. I only listened to the radio. I blew the engine head twice, but I had to mow lawns. Uh, it's a four-cylinder. I had to mow lawns uh, to pay back my dad. So anyway, um, the starter home is much like your starter car. You're not going to get that um, champagne taste on your beer budget if it's your first time to buy a home and you're typically around that 33-year-old age. So if you're talking to a first-time home buyer and they are less than 33, you tell them they are better than average. And if they're over 33, you can still play catch-up. But let's talk about the starter home. Let's get people into their starter home, their first home. You are paying rent at the rate of 100% interest rate to make a landlord rich. If you are a renter, you've got to open a door. You've got to talk to people to open the door, even if that's the move outside of town where it may not uh, be as convenient, uh, but it's going to be less expensive. We know that there is a huge, massive housing supply shortage. Even our good friend Elliot Eisenberg, the Bowtie Economist, talked today about how um, cars and homes were usually a pretty good uh, barometer of how the economy is doing. And um, unfortunately, with all the si uh, supply chain disruption and input costs, it's hard to get a gauge. Um, you know, um, there's a lot of demand destruction going on in the car industry. Remember how uh, used car prices went up pretty high the last uh, couple of years? There's something called the Mannheim Index. Well, that came down last month, and the price of cars has actually started to come down. Demand destruction is a real thing. At some point, bars consumers say, I don't need a car, or I'm not going to pay that price, and we're just going to hold off. Is that happening with houses? Probably not yet, but we may start to see that ease up towards the end of the year. We know we have a lot of buyers trying to get under contract, and it's very hard for them to get their offers accepted with such little supply on the market and so much overwhelming demand of the demographics. So we'll see if that starts to ease later at the end of the year. It's not necessarily the interest rate, you know, 4%, 5%, 6%, whatever it is. That isn't, you know, on the margin that kind of um, curbs demand, but not really. If you want to buy a house and you're in that household formation age, and if you're looking for your starter home, you got a kid, you're getting married, whatever the case may be, um, or you're just tired of renting, um, and paying 100% interest rate, you're going to pay the going rate. It's what it is. You're already paying whatever you're paying for rent anyway. You might as well use that same nut every month. 
to buy a house. So get people in the starter home. Let's use that verbiage. Let's talk about the starter home. Okay, let's talk about a little bit of our um, uh, inflation numbers and what went on. CPI, the Consumer Price Index, jumped 1.2% in March from February. That's a lot in one month. So the headline number is 8.5% higher than a year ago. Um, last month was 7.9%. Big number. Highest annual rate since 1981, uh, which excludes, and then if you talk about your, your core in, uh, CPI, which excludes food and energy, which nobody does because everyone has to eat and heat their house and I guess use their car, um, uh, it rose 0.3% as opposed to the expectation of 0.5%. Not sure if I really like that um, expectation because we all know um, that rents are going up, home prices are going up, and um, wages are generally going up for white collar workers, but not enough to keep up with inflation. So um, it's still very affordable, um, but I think these are lagging indicators of what's really going on out there. It's still very expensive to rent. Um, but the core inflation, the core CPI, excluding food and energy that no one excludes in their life, is 6.5% higher than a year ago. That was the headline CPI number. So then the talk of peak inflation peaked this week, and it lasted about 24 hours um, as the stock market rallied. Remember, I'm not a stock uh, financial advisor. I am not responsible for your losses, only your profits. Do not take my advice, because I did get murdered uh, year to date, although I had a nice S&P put uh, recently. But all in all, not doing so hot this year. Did great last two years, but who didn't? Anyway... Uh, the stock market rallied on this peak inflation because it was only 0.3% going up in the core CPI as opposed to the expectation of 0.5%. And that rally lasted a whole day when the PPI came out, the producer price index, which came out. That is the cost of the inputs to create these goods that the consumers pay for. And that was up 1.4% um, in March from February, 11.2% higher than a year ago, up from 10% the prior month. Core PPI, which excludes food and energy again, which nobody does, rose 1% from February, uh, was 9.2% higher than a year ago. So that was higher, and uh, then the talk of peak, uh, peak inflation kind of went away, and the stock market tanked, and it tanked again going into a long weekend. Stock market closed at 2 p.m. Eastern today early, and is closed tomorrow for Good Friday, Passover. So, uh, you know, are we... Uh, are we going to see what's going on with uh, a sell-off in the stock market? I don't really know. But earnings season has started. Q1 earnings season has started. The big banks always start off. The financials kick off earnings seasons. And we start to talk about how do they do during Q1? Did the Ukraine impact, um, you know, the invasion by uh, Russia? Did it impact the banks, companies, input, supply chain, inflation, PPI, CPI? Our consumer spending, retail sales was pretty good last month. That number came out too. Uh, jobless claims, it rose a little bit to 185,000, um, up from the expectation of 175,000. Still pretty good. So, um, you know, can't say that we have a ton of bad data, but at the end of the day, earnings is what matters the most in the stock market. How are companies doing in Q1? What is their forward guidance? Are we seeing a slowdown? People talk about recession. Will it come? Of course, at some point, the debt cycle, the mortgage cycle, the market cycle, you know, you have, um, you know, expansion and then recession. It's coming eventually, of course, we all know that. When? When is the question? What are the signs that are going to show us when a recession occurs? Typically, we look at slowdowns. A slowdown in and of itself doesn't mean there's a recession coming. But um, again, they all come eventually. So retail sales, pretty good. Our GDP, which is typically the measure of a recession, two negative 
GDP quarters in a row, six full months, which sometimes you don't know you're in a recession until after the fact you look back at the data. But still so far, everyone's projecting growth for this quarter. So I guess we're not in a recession. Could we go into one into Q3 and Q4? I don't know. So we'll continue to look at the data. Um, energy. Let's talk about energy real quick. Um, it is a huge component of this inflation. And we have a um, old world system where you have to raise money and create more wells and physical inputs and pipelines to get energy around the world. And there's a lot of disruption because of Russia. So uh, we shall see how that continues as the year goes on. By the way, eating cheesecake leads to dad bod. That's my health. Have a great holiday weekend. Cheers. You've been listening to KP Talks Dollars and Cents, a top-rated show for those who want to learn about the economy and mortgage environment. Tune in each week for more episodes and please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Kevin Perenio does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through KP Talks Dollars and Cents. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. For more info, follow KP Talks Dollars and Cents on all of our social channels.